This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from Detroit Sound Studios above Activate Gaming and is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Cali, C-A-L-I. For the best seats to any game at the best price, call Cali Tickets toll-free at 877-225-8425. They stock tickets for all of the local shows and teams, as well as tickets for events nationwide. Mention the Detroit Sports Rag and receive 10% off your first order. Upcoming hot shows include Black Sabbath and The Corpse of Ozzy Osbourne on February 19th. The Who and the Corpse of Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey on February 27th. ACDC on March 20th. Seriously, any group that was like born in the 80s or 90s? Oh, here, Rihanna on March 24th. Cali Tickets can help you sell your tickets. To see their huge selection of inventory, go to calitickets.com. That's Cali as in C-A-L-I. Tickets.com. You can go on the DetroitSportsRag.com and their banner ad is at the top of our website. Justin Spiro, our co host, as always, welcome to the program. Thanks. Great to be back with you guys. Uh, we also have in studio our attorney, one of our many attorneys, actually. The site needs a uh, legal team pretty much. Similar to O.J. Simpson's, which, by the way, will be uh, the next Tuesday night, I think, that FX, uh, what is it, a miniseries? I don't even know. No, it's funny because Rob Kardashian actually has something in common with George Contas. Can you guess what it is? I don't know. They have a hot daughter? Yep. Really? Is that what it yep. is? Oh, no, not Rob Kardashian. That's uh, or whatever the dad's name what was. What was Kardashian's first? Robert. 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 Oh, okay, okay, sorry. Well, I've <laughs> never heard anyone call him Rob. Hey, hang, hang me on the, the last three letters of the same but, name. But Contus is in the studio. As always, our producer, Jessica, is here as well. Hi. Hi. Uh, so how about that? Uh, we have a sponsor now of the program, Cali Tickets, which I- I'm really happy uh, to have a sponsor, but... Not only is this person uh, who owns Cali Tickets, a gentleman named Mark Goldman, fellow member of the tribe, a big fan of this website. This guy actually hates Brad Ausmus more than probably all three people in this room combined. 
like to the point where if I ever tweet out anything positive about the Tigers, I always get a response from this gentleman saying, yeah, but Brad Osmus is still the manager. 99 out of 100 times this occurs. So why give your business to StubHub or some other uh, ticket broker when you can uh, buy tickets from a fan of the website? And I know a couple weeks ago we had a problem with StubHub where you couldn't even, Justin, appear in the last segment of the show because they screwed you somehow. So why would you give your business to them? StubHub doesn't care about Brad Osmus. I thought you liked them. What? I no, thought you Je- liked them. Cut Jessica's mic off. I never said that. I'm, Kaylee, take it. C-A-L-I. I'm the only one that can cut my mic off. <laughs> oh, damn. Uh, <laughs> throw, throw, some, throw something at her. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I missed the entire last segment a couple weeks ago because I was fighting on the phone with StubHub. And then four days later, I go to the Pistons-Warriors game with Jasper Apollonia, our Pistons correspondent, and they, they fucked me over again. So I got fucked over by StubHub twice in five days. And this is not part of like a live read I'm doing. This, no. this actually happened. This is, this is, this Stub, is all factual. StubHub is an absolute nightmare these days. Their customer service has plummeted. They still have not made me whole on the second time they fucked me over. So I will definitely be calling your friend of the tribe for my – Yeah, my, and mention the DSR and you get 10% off. So like if you want to go see Coheed and Cambria – a concert that I'm going to be going to just a little down the way here at the Royal Oak Music Theater next month, and you either want to say hello to me or punch me in the face, call Mark Goldman at Cali Tickets, 877-225-8425. And if that's not a live read right there, I mean, you get a better live read. So anyone else wants to sponsor this abortion of a program, <laughs> you can email me at DetroitSportsRag at gmail.com because, uh, yeah, look, we got to pay the bills too. Well, he's in a unique position to support us because his market are all – people that need to buy a ticket to go to a game, and we're constantly bombing people with press credentials that don't need tickets to get into these Correct. types of things. So we're a little bit more uh, aligned with him than some of uh, some other people might be. I, I think it's a good fit. So I'm looking forward to giving him a shot to actually not fuck me over on the next Pistons game I try to go to. Yeah. Are you going to go all Coheed – excuse me. Are you going to go all Richard Christie to Coheed No, I'm not going to be wearing an adult diaper to, my, to this concert. That's, I, I can – during one of the songs, I maybe not that huge a fan. I can go take a piss, but uh, so yeah, su- support our sponsor. I, we would appreciate it. Uh, this guy knows me so, so long that he knows my nickname from high school. Which during the six o'clock hour read for their for Cali tickets, I will unveal unveal. Ah, and look I at Jessica. You were going to say it yeah. now. No, I, like, you got to wait I an hour. You got to wait an hour. I will tell you. That's, this is what he calls me, which is kind of humiliating. But <laughs> that's awesome. I'm, I'm being alpha mailed by Mark Goldman. Tonight on the program, we are going to have a special guest coming up in a couple minutes. We're actually going to take a real quick break and get him on the line. Uh, Dan Zimborski of ESPN.com, uh, one of the uh, I would say sabermetrics gurus on the website. The guy who does all the zips predict. Uh, He's on the Mount Rushmore of the Saber movement. Oh, is he? Yeah. That's, that's a 97 that's probably, topic. Probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're going to have Dan talk about the Tigers offseason and specifically a quote from Tigers general manager Al Avila from over the weekend. We're going to have him on. During the 6 o'clock hour, I'm sure a lot of you people are tuning in for this. Uh, earlier this morning... The person who was robbed by Drew Sharp, David Harns of iSports Web, tweeted out uh, the following, and we're going to get into this in depth. Quote, everyone can stop tagging me in Drew Sharp-related tweets. We've talked. It's done. That was at 9.09 this morning from David Harns. Uh, no, David, it's not done. 
and it's never going to be done. And at 6 o'clock, we're going to talk about your little complicity in this nonsense. So uh, stick, stick around for that. We are going to go to a quick break, and then we are going to get Dan Zimborski from ESPN.com on the line to discuss the uh, Tigers offseason, which I think Spiro and I both give it an A+. Plus, correct? Yes, We'll absolutely. see if uh, Dan yeah. is as bullish on the uh, Avila moves as, as we are. So we'll be back after this quick break to have Dan on the phone. This is a previously recorded episode. All right, we are back on the Detroit Sports Rec Podcast, episode 15, Tuesday, January 26. Our first guest tonight is baseball analyst for ESPN.com, Dan Zimborski. I hope I'm saying that name right. i only seen it about 5 million times on Twitter, but I'm, I'm guessing that's the correct spe- uh, pronunciation. Am I correct? That is correct. Wow. I'm, I'm so, try. So, to, so proud of myself that I knew that that S was silent. Thanks for joining us, Dan. Um, appreciate it. Tigers have had a very busy offseason. Uh, I think they've, what, a third of the team has been uh, added over the last couple months during the hot stove league. Oh, it's, it's been a busy offseason. But you could say that it should have been a busy offseason. Yeah, there's no, there's no question about that. Now, Spiro, I think, has his first, first question for you tonight uh, regarding the Tigers. Well, you know, Dan, first of all, thanks for, for joining us. I, I was looking just as a gambling degenerate that I am at where the Tigers were going into this morning uh, for their World Series odds in Vegas. And they're currently right in the middle of the pack at 25-1. to 1. I did a little bit of research on this. It's their longest odds since prior to the 2006 season, which was a relatively surprising World Series run. I'm curious if you find this to be an appropriate evaluation of them. Do you really consider them this long of a shot for the World Series? Are you a little bit higher on them than Vegas is? I would be slightly higher than Vegas. Uh, I'm not as high on the Royals as as some people are because, you know, once a team wins the World Series, people are like, well, they won the rings. They're going to keep proving you wrong. And then it doesn't always work that way. Uh, The the Tigers have as good a shot as any of the second-tier teams in baseball, uh, which seem to make up the entirety of the American League you could say. So here's a quote. We're going to get into some of the individual moves in a moment that they've made this offseason and what your feelings are about those transactions. But I want to read you a quote from the Detroit News on Sunday from Al Avila, the first year general manager of the team. Quote, we didn't really revamp the analytics department. We didn't have an analytics department. Uh, there's many angles to that that you probably could begin with. Is that throwing Dave Dombrowski under the bus? Uh, how pathetic is it that they haven't had a sabermetrics department uh, in the last decade? What would your reaction be to that quote from Al Avila? Well, they never really had an analytics department coming into this offseason. They did have people in the organization uh, with knowledge of, of, of the, where analytics stood in baseball. Something that wasn't like they were completely out of the game, but there wasn't really an integrated effort. And there's, there's always a step when you go from having some stack guys just hanging around to making it kind of a real department that really has an effect on the roster. Because that's, that's the thing with information. Uh, you can have the, the best information in the world, but until it gets integrated into the team and into the decision-making, it, it, it doesn't have value. Uh, so they have been making an effort to revamp it. Uh, I know one of the people they have on board is a fellow named Chris Long, 
who uh, worked for the Padres, who's a really good analytics guy. Uh, so they're, they're making progress. What kind of male practice do you think Dave Dombrowski committed over the last 10 years when obviously uh, advanced metrics became more of the norm in baseball that he just didn't have – other than Sam Menzen, who was I think a 25 or 26-year-old kid, I think that was the extent of their entire analytics department. Uh, how, I'm, I mean what's your opinion of that when considering they were had such an advantage financially over everyone else in the division, spending sometimes in the last few years close to double – uh, what the next team in the American League Central could spend, which was basically the Royals or the White Sox, it seems if you would have used any uh, advanced metrics, analytics to assist the financial advantage that maybe they would have had a World Series and not still be on a 32-year drought. Uh, well, well, baseball, there's always inertia, inertia, both at the league level and the team level. Uh, Dombrowski, uh, 20 years ago, he was one of the more progressive general managers of the game that he wasn't like a saber nut or anything, but, but uh, his teams did have more of an understanding of things like on-base percentage and slugging percentage, which we take for granted now, but 20 years ago, it, it wasn't necessarily so. Uh, I, I think that they didn't advance quickly enough uh, as other teams were really making this a focus of the decision-making. That, that, that whole integration from the organization from top to bottom, we're, we're not just having some smart stack guys, but, but you're using it. And I think that was probably Dombrowski's problem towards the end, is that he, he, he wasn't completely on board with the whole revamping thing that, we, that we've seen, really the whole Moneyball era. Uh, and there's always an issue where you had to get complete ownership, buy-in in some of these things. Uh, because if the owner doesn't buy it, there's only so much you can do. Uh, but they are making progress. The question, of course, is it going to be too little too late? The organization Dabrowski's going to has been known for, obviously, uh, being pretty um, saber-friendly. I mean, they had Theo Epstein as a general manager for years. They've employed Bill James, for Christ's sake. Uh, <laughs> what, how, what kind of culture uh, shift is going to be there for Dombrowski entering that organization where, like I said, they employed a guy who Sparky Anderson in the 80s was bombing for being a, a stat geek in Bill James. It seems like it's going to be kind of like a, I don't know, it seems like an odd mix. Uh, one could say that, but in, in Boston, the infrastructure, it's all in place at this point. They're not asking him to build an analytics department. They're asking, they're more looking at him kind of like that veteran leadership role. Uh, the teams these days don't really have the the one GM or the one vice president that's kind of like the boss of everything and then, you know, no conductor or puppet master or anything. Uh, he's, he's going to be part of a machine rather than essentially the commander of it. You know, back in um, – here we go. Sorry, pulling this up. December of this past year, you had tweeted out in response to a tweet from Hardball Talk saying that the um, – the report that the Tigers were not interested in UN assessment as your response was someone has to tell the Tigers what pot committed means. And over numerous occasions, you have tweeted out saying that the Tigers have to go for it this offseason. You made a reference to their increasing age to Lynn Henning back in November. I'm curious, what do you think of the moves overall? I mean, we'll break down some of them individually, but if you had to give a, a blanket grade to what Avila's done this offseason, where do you put him right now? I would give a solid B-plus to the team. I think they could have done more. Uh, I think after, after they lost Scherzer, I don't think they really recovered from that to, to an extent. And as I said, they are a pot-committed team. 
the this 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 edition of the Tigers, they're going to have to win in the next season or two, because after that, it's really hard to see them keeping this team together and winning. Uh, it's it's just they're not going to have the replacement prospect. They're not going to spend two hundred and fifty million dollars uh, on the on the payroll. Uh, so. I think that once you're committed to winning now, you have to actually push forward and do your best to win now. Uh, and earlier this offseason, like Mike Pelfrey was going to be one of their significant signings, which would have been a problem. But bringing in Zimmerman is great. Bringing in Upton is great. Uh, and it, I don't think there, there are any great teams in the American League. So the Tigers do have a pretty good shot. I mean, you, know, you would have liked them to see bringing David Price back or, or in the mix for Johnny Cueto, but, but that didn't happen. And that would have made a great offseason, but they had a good one. And, and Dan, the thing we're seeing here, and, and you might find this shocking, but we were on the air last week decrying the response of a lot of the members of the Detroit media and the fan base. It was basically split on Justin Upton, half good, half bad. To us, it was a total no-brainer that this was an incredible signing, something that they had to do, as you mentioned, to keep the window open. Speaking specifically just about Justin Upton, what did you think of that signing, and is there any reason to think he'll be any place but the two-hole? Well, well, the thing about Justin Upton is, is if you look at the offseason, you think, oh, yeah, you know, we'd prefer to have Jason Hayward, but Jason Hayward's gone, and at that point, you can't just pick up a star player off the grocery store shelf and put him in your cart. They have to be available. They have to be willing to sign. And Justin Upton was the most interesting player available uh, in the free agent market by that point. Uh, he's a solid player. He's a lot better than the alternative in left field would have been for the Tigers. It would, it would not have been a strong position without Justin Upton in there. Uh, he never really became a superstar, and I think there's always been kind of this, this kind of pullback about Upton that he almost seems like a disappointment in some ways because he came up as a very young player. He was 19, 20, 21, playing at a league average level, but he never really became a superstar. He became a really good player, but never a star. And I think there's always a little bit of pullback that, that Upton never really met his full potential. But sticking him in the left, sticking him in the two-hole, that's a real plus for the Tigers. I think a lot of the uh, angst of the Tigers fans was that they, they knew Cespedes and they were familiar with him. He was very good for the first half of the season last year. And I think a lot of fans just wanted Cespedes over Upton. But it seems to me, this has made no sense to me, is that on almost all angles, Upton is a better fit for this current Tiger team than Cespedes. A, he's younger. B, they needed someone in the two-hole who could get on base in front of J.D. Martinez and Miguel Cabrera. Uh, It's so bizarre to me, and I think it's kind of an anti-Saber type of deal in Detroit. I mean, this is the city that still can't comprehend why uh, Mike Trout's a better player than Miguel Cabrera. And when they look at his batting average and they look at his RBIs, which nobody in this room— strikeouts, And strikeouts. (laughs) And nobody in this room is going to do, or anyone on the phone, I don't believe— it, it just seems like there's some disconnect between Tigers fans and what they got. And what they got was someone who might be on the verge of taking that next step. Now, I know that sabermetric people don't like batting order protection as an argument, but you saw what Cespedes did. He had a career, career year last year being around Cabrera and, and, and J.D. Martinez and Ian Kinsler. Oh, Upton is a more well-rounded hitter than Cespedes. Uh, I, I can't see Cespedes really being much of a star say, three or four years down the road. And, of course, Upton is 28. That's a better age. Every, every year counts. 
when you're signing a player in, in, in their late 20s to a free agency contract. Because every year you get in their 20s is a year you're not getting in their late 30s. And people, people drastically uh, underestimate how important that is. Uh, signing a player at 31 instead of 33 or 29 instead of 31. I, it, it, it was the best fit for the tires. It's, it's a good move. And he, I think he, people will be happy with him. He, he'll, he'll do his job. Uh, he's one of the least likely to start falling off the cliff at, at his age. Uh, so whether the Tigers win the division or not, I mean, that's still obviously up for grabs. But I don't think Upton will be a problem by any means. One of your favorite Twitter memes over the last couple of years, and maybe I'd say probably in the top three, is bombing the Detroit Tigers bullpen at every opportunity, right, <laughs> rightfully so. Uh, that, that was pretty much, other than the starting pitching, the biggest weakness going into the year, and it's been the biggest weakness going back since, to, uh, since 2006, basically. My question to you is, K-Rod, Justin Wilson, Lowe, is that enough, or are we still going to be shitting our pants entering every seventh inning this year? <laughs> It's, it's not a great bullpen, but it's a lot better than it was. It doesn't look like uh, players who rounded up for like a fantasy camp in, in, in March in Florida where you have fans pay $2,000 each to play with them. It actually looks like professional players at this point. Uh, I, I like K-Rod. He's had surprising longevity. Uh, I think that it's a better bullpen. It's not one of the top bullpens by any means, but he's going to be less heart attacks, fewer heart attacks. We we saw a stay of execution for Brad Ausmus. We had reported that he was pretty much already gone, and that was picked up by numerous people in Detroit with their own independent reports that he was gone. Our understanding is Avila went to ownership and basically said, look, Garden Hire is the favorite of ownership, and he is not going to be analytically friendly. This organization needs to go into the future and make the next step. And Brad is a lame duck manager who we can talk to, who we can maybe move in that direction. So I'm curious, I mean, you know a little bit about this whole analytical movement in baseball. Is there any track record, any reason for us to have any faith that an old school manager will all of a sudden, after a talk with the team president, move into an analytical direction? Is there, is there any precedent for that? Well, one, I don't know if there's a direct precedent, but people working in baseball, they have a sense of self-preservation. Uh, Osmus has seen the writing on the wall. Uh, he, he's probably going to be a lot more open than Ron Gardenhire was. I, I would have been scared to see Ron Gardenhire managing also. Uh, he was kind of that fit for the twins when they kind of just go along with the motions and get every picture who can't strike out anybody ever. Uh, he'll be receptive, and if he's not, it, it'll be hard for the team to have a lot of success. And then he will be out eventually if, if that happens. Uh, he, he, he could also be around as like a sacrificial goat to some, to some extent because every general manager team usually gets to fire one manager before they put their heads on the chopping block. Well, yeah, and the crazy thing was that it really wasn't job security for Avila. They gave him a five-year contract, which was for a first-time GM. Uh, most people said that they thought maybe he'd get three years, but obviously Illich uh, – is very comfortable with Dombrowski's second in command to give him five years. So we'll see what happens. If you blow a $200 million payroll and you're in a lame duck in the last year, I, I, Brad Osmus is, is very uh, – he's on thin ice. There's no question about it. One question that's kind of – I'd say maybe one of the most important questions of the 2016 Tigers is what they can expect from Jordan Zimmerman. 
as you said, you know, last year they went. The Tigers were thought they were going to go into the season with Verlander, Sanchez, uh, and David Price. This year they're going in with Verlander and Zimmerman and Sanchez, coming off a horrible year. What do your projections say transferring to the American League that we can expect from Zimmerman? Uh, well, the Zips projections for Zimmerman do have him bouncing back to a significant extent, not to the level he was in 2014, but that was also clearly his best season in the majors so far. And you, you always get in trouble if you focus too much on a player's best season because you, that, that, that's hard to maintain. Uh, he'll be a solid above-average number two guy. He'll, he'll do his job. Uh, I, I don't think there's any problems in, in the uh, rotation. He can still throw 93, 94. It's not, he's not one of those pitchers that mysteriously lost three miles per hour on his fastball. Uh, I mean, 2015 wasn't great, but I don't think it was as, as poor as some people acted like uh, it was. He, he, he'll, be, he'll be a good addition to the rotation, and it was one they needed. Uh, because before Zimmerman signed, that rotation was not looking that good. Yeah, and it's certainly there, there's some question marks even now. I, I'm curious, Dan, and, and this will be a little bit away from the Tigers, but really just a general question about your experience in doing what you do. You have been one of the very first people through this wall, You know, one of the very first people to push this analytical movement in print to argue for it. It's something that was met with significant resistance at first and something that is still met with resistance today. We see it all the time with Journalists in the Detroit Free Press, the Detroit News, are still highly resistant to these ideas. Uh, sports radio in Detroit, I don't know if this is the same elsewhere. It, it's repeated that th- these people are nerds and you know they've never picked up a baseball in their life and they don't know what they're talking about. I'm curious, as one of the first through the wall, through this wall of pushing this analytical movement, how has the response to your work changed? Is it moving in a, in a good direction to a more intellectual level? Oh, absolutely. Uh, many, many people in media are more receptive than they were originally. Uh, I mean, I broke into the sabermetric community in the 90s, back when I, was, when I was younger. I'm not young anymore, but I was young then. And, I mean, we were also a brash group. We always criticized media pretty terribly. Uh, we called them mediates and all sorts of nasty things. And I think over time, people have seen, like, the, the truth in each other's positions. I've, I, except for certain people like Murray Chess, I haven't had any problems with, with other people in media. I, I found that writers are generally very supportive of new things, uh, if, if you give them a chance. Now, I mean, people aren't going to go full on stat instantly, but, but we've seen a lot of good changes. I mean, you can mention on base percentage and slugging percentage and not be shouted down these days. And that wasn't true if you go back to, say, 1997. Even that, to a lot of people that were writing, was a foreign concept, like it was some crazy thing. On base percentage, only batting average counts. And when was the last time you saw someone obsess over RBIs too often compared to how it used to be? So it's, it's, it's been, there's been a lot of progress. Uh, I, I, it let me into the Baseball Writers Association somehow, so that's a good thing, I think. My, my last <laughs> question about the Tigers would be twofold. One, a couple of years ago, Sanchez, Anibal Sanchez, was in the hunt for... This, the Cy Young, uh, he was oh, right there on a lot of the advanced metrics with, with uh, Max Scherzer. And then last season, he couldn't keep the ball in the, in, in the ballpark, including Tiger State, uh, excuse me, Comerica Park, which is uh, not exactly uh, you know, Coors Field. What, what do you expect from him? What does Zip say about what we can expect from Annabelle Sanchez this year? Uh, Zip does see a bounce back because the thing about home run rate is while it's 
extreme. It's not as volatile for hitters. It, it's it's quite volatile for pitchers. Uh, there's, I mean, there's an ability component to it. Obviously, a guy who gives up 30 home runs every year is going to keep giving up that amount of home runs every year. But he was never a home run problem before that. I don't think he was ever over like 20 before uh, 2015. So, what was he at in 2014? Like five home runs? I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he he's not a guy that that's had that had that problem in the past. So I would probably expect it to come down to a more reasonable point, which of course the Tigers need because. They're not going to get anything from pictures like Shane Green next year. They, they need Sanchez to, to have a turnaround. I think he will. Maybe not to 2013 levels, but he had a lot of good seasons before that. And the, my last question about the Tigers pitching is, uh, we haven't really had any quality prospects for many years based on either signing free agents that cost us draft picks or just not being able to, to basically develop anyone in the farm system. So, Tigers fans are, are are very excited about Daniel Norris and Michael Fulmer. Um, hoping, you know, obviously Daniel Norris coming out of uh, spring training is going to be in the rotation, either as the four or five, and Michael Fulmer hopefully helping at some point this season, either in the rotation or in the bullpen. What, what do you what do you see for them this year, and what can we expect as Tiger fans from the young kids? Oh, the fact that they're in the system now is is a pretty big plus for the Tigers. Uh, you you look at some of the the Plan Bs in recent years, and it's just you know it's as you guys know it's been pretty ugly when, when you once you start losing pitchers and you have to turn to the bullpen and then, I mean the um, the minors. Uh, I think Norris, I think he's a league average starter right now, and I think Michael Fulmer will be pretty soon. Uh, he's got a filthy fastball, filthy slider. Uh, I, I really think that that it's a it's a positive for the Tigers. Will it be enough? three years from now to keep the team from having some serious issues? Probably not, but it won't be their fault, probably, in, in all likelihood. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a very positive development for the team to have uh, really options because that's a lot what was missing going into last season is they just didn't really have other options anywhere. So when bad things happened, there wasn't much that the team could do to react to those situations. All right, we really appreciate you joining us, Dan. My last question would be, if Brad Osmus if the Tigers start off horribly and he is gone, they get a new manager. Three names of managers who would use advanced metrics, not bunt, uh, not in, not intentional uh, walk people, not throw uh, uh, pitch outs. Who who would be your top three if you were if you won the Powerball and you could own a team? What three manage name three guys? I think Kapler and Acta, you know, would be two oh, of well, ours. You took, you're, you're, I want to show how smart I was. <sighs> okay, see, 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 now, now I'm going to sound like I'm just cheating, right? Uh, another another guy who who has a reputation for being interested in that uh, this kind of stuff is Todd Green, uh, another catcher. And you know, was he the Mets catcher? catcher? The old Mets catcher? Uh, you know, the old Angels catcher oh. who kind of did it really succeed. Uh, Kapler is, is another great name. Uh, another another player you sometimes see is, remember Super Joe McEwing? Yeah. Yep. Yep. He's the name that comes up, uh, and he has a reputation for being open to these things. Uh, so, so there's some interesting names. I think Kapler is probably the most interesting. Uh, I'd love to see someone like C.J. Nitkowski get a chance to manage, though. Really? Yeah, he'd be fun. Well, we're, we've we've all God would God would be on the Tigers' side. Though, <laughs> yeah, right? God, God would be on the Tigers. <laughs> we've all been hoping for K- Gabe Kapler, 
But I don't know about the chances of but, having another former Tiger, really good-looking Jewish uh, manager. <laughs> what, what are the odds of going to Illich and say, yeah, we got another hot manager who's part who's Jewish? Uh, yeah, I, I just can't see that happening. But we can always hope. Dan, thank you very much for joining us. You can read all of his great articles on um, ESPN.com. He's a great follow on Twitter. But, uh, you know, you're going to have to go Google his name and figure that out. I'm not going to. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I can't there's spell. There's a lot of letters in there. It's, it's, it's hard to spell. Yeah, it's very hard to spell. Thank you, Thanks Dan. Thanks a lot, Dan. And hopefully Thanks, maybe in a few uh, months you can check in again. Really appreciate it. All right. Uh, that was pretty yeah, interesting. Dan Zaborski, ESPN.com. That was one of my favorite guests that we've had so far. And we, we like to bring guys like him on, like Prasanth with the Red Wings and we want people that are going to make us a little bit smarter, make the listeners a little bit smarter that know more about this than, frankly, we do. I thought he, he had some interesting points just in general. I thought it was interesting that he – your entire point last week with the Tigers just in general and, and making the moves that they needed to make uh, was something that he echoed. You know, just I think he is in the same boat as us. I, I think he likes the moves. He's not going to plan the parade down Woodward Avenue anytime soon, but – I think he's pretty much in the same boat as us, and I, I thought that was mostly encouraging. And the B plus is a little, little bit lower than I would have given, but um, still pretty good. And he's still a, know, a good, a good review. Uh, I think he's right. I, I think he probably said, you know, if you would have got, and I don't put, I think Cueto and Zimmerman are pretty much interchangeable. I wouldn't. I mean, to me, looking at their numbers, I don't think that, I don't think there's any more guarantee. With Johnny Cueto than there is with Zimmerman, I think they're no. pretty equal. I, I think, think they're similar. I mean, Grank, I think yeah. Granky and Price were the elite guys, and those were just yep. top shelf. And then Zimmerman, Cueto, uh, those were that was the second class, and they got one of those guys. And you know, look, if you get into the playoffs, you have a shot. And with the improved bullpen, and you know, he kind of like had written off Shane Green. I'm hoping that he has a bounce back. There was a lot of guys he said hit were potential bounce back years. Sanchez, he's zips are high on him, or at least higher than you know. I, I think a lot of people are kind of shell shocked about what happened to him last season. I think he'll be back. I mean, I'm hoping. I don't know. Like I, I, don't, I, said, I don't even know what zips means, but I, 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 <laughs> I it's, it's I, a sauce you put on a fillet at Lely's. Oh, that's good. That's what I thought he meant. Yeah, but, yeah. I, you know, I, I think I'm a little bit higher on this team than most people. I, I think you know if they're getting between 25 and 35 to one in Vegas, I think that's a little nuts. Something that I would certainly wager on if I were out there. No, I love. I mean, to yeah, me, that's the field's relatively open. I, I, it doesn't seem that imposing of a field. You would have to think the Royals are going to take somewhat of a step back. I mean, you know. and, 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 and the analytics crowd wasn't very high on the Royals last year. I mean, I think they were projected to win around eighty games based on things like zips, um, which is basically a projection of WAR for, for you know you know. Okay, so that's Good. what basically it is. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. And they, when's the last time a team went back to back? I think there will be some regression from the Royals, and I think the Tigers are right in the mix. I don't think we're being slapdicks by saying that. Like, like we said, they they turned over a third of their roster, and even guys like Pelfrey are going to add something to the mix, even if he's like a Brad Penny type guy from a few years ago, where he came in and was serviceable in the number five spot, and the offense carried him. In a lot of starts, yeah, won like thirteen games or so. He <laughs> yeah, stunk. not that we're a big on win loss, but I mean, the, at the end of the day, I'm saying they won. Right. They won their fair share of games that, that he started. started. I'm not giving him credit for the wins. And the thing I'm with just Sanchez, saying he won games. The thing with Sanchez, that's 
That is such a huge question mark. Because like I said, a couple years ago, I was making the argument that Sanchez had a better year than Scherzer. And that was a sh- might have been the years Scherzer was in the top two or three in Cy Young. Or did he, I don't even remember what year that was anymore. But this guy was pitching lights out for us. Yeah. But I, mean, I don't know. It's... it's he won the ERA title. Sanchez did. I mean, you know. sitting here on January twenty sixth, I don't think we could be any more um, fulfilled with an off season. I mean, it's just they did everything we wanted them to do, and even things that we, you know, maybe didn't want them to do. Adding Pelfrey didn't end up hurting in the long run because they spent the money on Justin Upton anyway. So we're going to take a break. We'll come back. I don't know what we're going to talk about. Uh, because I'm waiting until 6 o'clock to bomb David Harms of iSports Web. We've been touting that all day long. So we'll figure out something to fill up the next 10 or 15 minutes, and then we will uh, get into more of the Drew Sharp story, because I'm sure you're not sick of it yet. Good evening. I'm Erica Lost. NATO forces bombed Serbia and Kosovo. An unidentified man is being held for questioning by the FBI for suspected links to last month's biological virus deaths. In local news, a dog named Hero takes the grand prize at the annual... I wish I could tell you more pertinent news. But we're in a rating system here, and the key factor is... Sensationalism. They've got you running in circles, nine to five, then five to nine. You're mine. I tell you what they want you to know, and you consider it the truth. Nobody is opening their eyes. Our global economy is depleting the world of our lives and natural resources. And are you happy? Come on! I work for the system. This is a previously recorded episode. We are back on the Detroit Sports Rag podcast. I am here with co-host Justin Spiro, our attorney, George Contis. Hello, hello. Who is uh, monitoring everything to make sure that we don't get sued. <laughs> and our producer, Jessica, who is... Hello. By, uh, during the break, uh, we discussed, let's see, a guy on I-75 uh, jerking off and driving into something and getting killed. He flipped his car over and over. Yeah, flipped his car over. Watching porn. Right, with no pants on, masturbating. And, yeah, and we also discussed Hot. if it's elite, something about a, a rub and tug at, a, at an Asian massage parlor. I don't know how but, this became the topic of conversation. Do, but do, that's, do you guys think, I don't think it would be Asian necessarily. Oh, I thought you said Asian. No. <laughs> that's, Sorry, you're that extrapolating your own prejudices. You did prejudices. that all on your own, buddy. She didn't say anything about Asian. but There's yeah. like 17 new like, do you think massage parlors on Northwestern. Like in West now Bloomfield we know and what Hills. porn Jeff watches while he's driving. No, no, it's, <laughs> I couldn't help it. It was right there. Why don't you go tell swinger, a right swinger, person, swinger uh, and threesome porn? Sorry, tell <laughs> Miguel Lakota start a landscaping business while you're at it. For it's always being culturally <laughs> insensitive. Right, let's get off this subject. You wanted to take well, let's, this let's, uh, let's, segment. I want, you yeah, wanted this segment. I wanted. To, I just wanted to touch on this at least a little bit. And we're talking about people uh, crashing their car on I-75 while they're jacking off. I'm wondering if Graham Couch has ever crashed his car while jacking off to a Mark D'Antonio. Press conference on I seventy five. I mean, here, here I think probably ninety six. Here, here's you know, I tweeted this out when it happened when I was down in Dallas, Texas for the very forgettable Cotton Bowl experience this past year. That I I was confronted a little strong. I approached Graham Couch and said, "Look, you know, I'm Justin Spiro. I'm the guy that's gotten into it with you on Twitter several times, and I would feel cowardly if I didn't 
say that. I mean, I felt like, you know, I owed it to the guy to be like, hey, you know, first time I met you and this is the guy who's gotten into it with you and accused you of being a homer and this and that and the other. And Graham, to his credit, stood there, took my questions, spoke to me for 10, 15 minutes, whatever. You know, that's great. And I give him credit for that. So I'll preface this whole thing by saying that Graham Couch took my questions like a man, stood there and talked to me, and I, and I give him credit for that. Now, that aside, there is something going on right now, and it's been going on really for a year, but really heating up now, and predictably so. The mainstream national media, with reports from numerous NFL executives, scouts, coaches, have said that there are major concerns with former Michigan State quarterback Connor Cook's pro potential. Not that he's awful, not that he has no chance of succeeding, has bust written all over him, nothing like that, although that's what you would think if you looked at the defense of the Michigan State beat writers. Just saying that there are some concerns there. The fact that he wasn't a captain is a concern. The fact that he's been seen out every single week drunk at Rick's in East Lansing, according to some people, allegedly, right, is my attorney sitting right here. This is, but these are reports that are out there. That's not me saying that. I'm saying this is what you hear. This is the buzz around town. The, there are concerns here that have been expressed. His teammates don't like him, allegedly. This is coming from multiple scouts in the NFL and, and executives that have been talking to people up in East Lansing. There's all this buzz, and, and, and there's this approach from the media that has been really spearheaded by Graham Couch and Joe Rexrode, who just absolutely – And Chris Vanini. And Chris Vanini, but I, I can't even really acknowledge him. He isn't – he's so irrelevant. I, I, I think we're, we look like Christopher Wallace in comparison. You know, so uh, here's the problem. There's a complete mockery by these two in particular, Graham and Joe, uh, of any notion – that there might be some legitimacy, some, if to this Connor Cook thing. It's, oh, more anonymous sources. These people don't know what they're talking about. These people haven't spent one day in East Lansing. As if you have to – first of all, you can be an NFL scout and have concerns about a guy not being a captain. You don't need to be there every day. But if anything, I would argue the people that aren't there every day have sort of a macro view that is advantageous. You look at the, these guys, and I don't care what they say. They can make the biggest joke of it they want. It was 15 feet in front of me. I was there at that Elite Eight game at the Carrier Dome in Syracuse. And I, it wasn't demonstrative. They weren't chest bumping. But after that game, within 10 seconds, Graham Couch, who was sitting right next to Joe Rexroad courtside, bent, not bent over, leaned over, and gave Joe Rexroad a fist bump. And they may have been fist bumping. Oh, great! We get to work another week. We we get another week. Yeah, of free a lot travel. of journalists. A lot of journalists love extra work. Well, I, I'm just saying. I, I'm just saying. I'm not saying they were definitively celebrating the fact that Michigan State beat Louisville in overtime to go to, to the Final Four. I'm not. I don't know. They may have been fist bumping because but they, they deny heard, it. But they did not. They did not happen. They, they, they could have just found out 15 seconds after the game that they were serving meatloaf in the press room. I don't know. I didn't hear them say anything. But I'm telling you. That within 15 seconds, when Travis Trace is running around still celebrating the immediate aftermath of that victory, these guys were that. Now I've said I've couched it, no pun intended, that Graham Couch was the one that initiated, it and Joe didn't even seem that into it, but uh, reluctantly returned the volley. So the but and I don't even you can, can I ask throw, you a question real yeah, quick. Yeah, 
what is the motivation for these guys to run cover for Connor Cook? That's what I don't Here's understand. Because and they are for, fans. For Couch. They are fans for, of the program. For Couch to write that ridiculous article about a month ago where he basically said that if Connor Cook didn't live the big man on campus life, uh, presumably going out and getting drunk and getting laid by different girls all the time, if he wasn't living that life, he'd be mad at Connor Cook. That is the most he would resent. He would resent, resent him, was the exact him. was the exact quote. If, if he what? wasn't living it up, so did I would he resent, resent him. So did he resent Kirk Cousins, who was living a life of going home every weekend to Bible study with his parents? Did he resent... I mean, that's the net, that would be my question to Graham Couch. Did you resent Kirk Cousins for not living the big man on campus lifestyle? Because you said in an article that you would if Connor Cook didn't. And we pretty much know, uh, Rob Parker reporting aside, that Kirk Cousins is a Jesus freak who likes going to Sunday school uh, and church on Sunday, not partying with strippers. Well, and, and here's what started this whole thing today. This has been going on for months, but... Joe Rexroad tweeted out uh, – this was – By the way, Joe Rexroad, who was uh, voted the uh, sports writer of the year in Michigan, which that's hilarious. Okay, well, the fact poor, that – Poor John Neo. I was going to say John Ubeka should win that every year yeah. if he writes one op-ed piece. But here, here's, here's the issue. This is where it started today. Joe Rexroad tweets right around noon today. Connor Cook will be picked apart during this process, of course. But I'm still waiting for something more than, quote, he's not homecoming king. This whole thing is a big joke to these guys. Uh, oh, you know, they had this thing Graham and Joe uh, a few weeks back were saying, oh, I heard Connor didn't say please when he asked for his milk when he was in the kitchen. And, oh, I heard Connor Cook looked at someone's exam by accident in the third grade. And, you know, I mean, just this whole thing is this big mockery to them. Where's the conspiracy? What? That, well, my response was, I'm sure it is a nationwide conspiracy of NFL scouts and executives to destroy Connor Cook. I'm sure that these numerous sources that have reported this are all getting in a room and saying, "Let's, how can we bury this kid? Why did they pick Connor Cook? Like, they, what, I, I want to know, what did this poor guy do to deserve it? <laughs> hey, wh- why is he the subject? So did Couch go to MSU? Actually, that's, I, I, I think he didn't actually. What about Rex Road? I think Rex Road did. Don't I, I don't know for a fact. I think Rex Road did. I don't think I don't think Couch did. I know he's a big like Spartan fan uh, and was a, a Spartan fan before he be, became a writer for them. I, we've had numerous people point that out to us. But yeah, here's here's the thing, and I and this is something that Joe and Graham both took exception to. I said these guys better hope Connor Cook is an elite NFL quarterback because they're basically saying any type of concern over him has no basis, is completely illegitimate. And that was something that Graham got mad at me for saying. He said, what, do you, what, what does that mean? I just said that some of these criticisms aren't justified. What he does in the NFL is completely irrelevant. So you're telling me that if Connor, if, I'm not saying win, but if Connor Cook has a Diet Coke version of the Johnny Manziel experience in the NFL where he gets photographed doing a body shot off, off some chick's stomach, at a bar the night before a game or whatever. I mean, if that something like that happens and he's released or he's it comes out that he's not in the film room or he's showing up late to meetings or whatever. I'm just these are all hypotheticals. You're telling me that they has no comment about how wrong they were on this to dismiss these things. Look, Connor Cook could 
be the best quarterback in the NFL for all I know, and I'm selling his stock. I'm the biggest Michigan State fan on earth. I don't want my franchise quarterback out drinking. I, I, sorry. Yeah, he's a college kid. I was out drinking too. I'm not the CEO of a billion-dollar operation, which a quarterback is the de facto CEO for an NFL team. You look at who the top five NFL quarterbacks are in any given order, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Russell Wilson, you know Cam Newton now. These guys, I mean, Cam Newton's the one guy you might argue is a little bit of a crazy looney tune in college. You know, he got into some trouble here and there. But even he was a serious, by all counts, guy and was an extreme competitor. These guys that are out at the bar once a week in college, twice a week, out all night, they don't become NFL franchise quarterbacks, and that has been the concern expressed Joe again. Namath. I, that's different. It's a different era. Joe, you want to bring up Joe Namath? Let's look at what Joe Namath said. Joe Namath himself. Joe Namath himself, find the quote, said that I could not succeed in today's NFL. It's a lot harder. The standard, the, the, the competition is so much more difficult. The game is so much more complex. I couldn't succeed doing what I did in terms of his lifestyle. I said, you can't do it anymore. Back in the 70s, 60s, 70s, even the 80s, everyone was partying. So you bring everything down. You can't right. get away. Kenny Stabler. You can't get away with it now. Right. And the job for a quarterback today, that, that's Jordan with himself, said right. I would never make it. And all it. of it's irrelevant anyway because all we're talking about is why these guys feel the need to run cover for Michigan State's quarterback. It totally blows their objectivity away as reporters. You can't do well, they know decent straight line reporting and then be a fan at the same time. They, you can't cross that line. Well – Rex Rowe did go to Michigan State. I just looked up Graham Couch. He went to something called Columbia College in Chicago. Okay. But he's from Lansing. I guess he grew up in Lansing. Yeah, so. I knew he grew up a Michigan State fan. I've been multiple and the, people. You know, and that's the, thing, that that's the thing that I'll never understand. Uh, and and it doesn't, there's no cor- real correlation because you can be a good reporter. You can be unbiased even if you grew up a fan of a team. Tony Paul, which Best we've, example. we've said it many times, Tony Paul's Twitter feed has the year 1984 in his handle, okay? And it's not because Tony was born in 1984. It's because the guy grew up loving the Detroit Tigers. But there's nobody who covered the Tigers who was more independent. Objective. Objective than Tony Paul. And speaking of Tony Paul, what is he doing right now? He's the beat writer for Michigan mm-hmm. Basketball. He's a Michigan State alum, a huge fan. Oh, by of the way, he's a huge fan of Michigan State. Huge and I'm fan sure of Michigan State, and he's doing a great job. Oh, and by the way, uh, who wrote the article about the softball team at Michigan State? Yeah, he didn't Tony run Paul. cover for the shenanigans Another that were going point. on there. Great point. Tony Paul uh, pissed off his alma mater, and and so, Jackie Joseph, the yeah, coach, exactly. A, and it's a school he went to, and it's a school that he loves. So I'm not saying just going to Michigan State. Makes you it doesn't disqualify. Yeah, it doesn't you. disqualify you. It's your behavior, and the behavior of many of these people in the media. You can see how transparent it is that they are rooting for their team, and I think that the guys that you mentioned at Michigan State are doing so. And look, how many political reporters do you know are liberal? But you still value their writing because they can. They can remain unbiased, even though the proclivity might be to the left. It's just, I don't know. I, I think just, I, here's the problem is I don't even care if they disagree. It is the absolute mockery of anyone who comes in with an alternative point of view. Like I don't. It's not about the disagreeing. It's about the method of disagreeing and about the hardline stance. 
if people say, oh, you know, are you going to apologize to me? Are you going to apologize if Connor Cook's an all-pro quarterback? No. I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll have been wrong. But all I'm saying is that I don't think there's a massive conspiracy of national media, national scouts, national executives to submarine Connor Cook's reputation. I don't think it, it, I don't think it's all coincidence. I think there's something there. And to dismiss it out of hat it is ridiculous and shows an incredible bias. And that's my only point. I, that's all I'm going to say on it for now. But I, I think it's been an embarrassing display by them. And today was really the tipping point. Well, they said the same thing about Winston and Menzel. Not them. I mean the national media. So obviously when there's, where there's smoke, you have to think there's a little smoldering fire going on. And well, Texas A&M, the media in Texas A&M, College Station, and, and supporters of Manziel were mocking that too. Oh, he's in college. Let him be, you know, he's 21. What is he supposed to do? What did you do when you were 21? That's great. I, that's, a, that's a good argument for anybody else. I don't need, that's a good argument for the wide receiver. I don't want my quarterback to be like that. All right. That was a good bridge to uh, our next subject, which we will come back after the break. We will discuss... David Harnes' tweet earlier this morning basically saying the Drew Sharp story is over. Uh, It's not over, and it's actually for David Harnes just about to begin. We'll be back after this break. This is a previously recorded episode. Welcome back to the DetroitSportsRag.com podcast. I'm taking over briefly as I believe Jeff Moss is currently trying to suppress his anger as much as possible, but it's not going to work. This is really the the hour somebody have been waiting for today. You could be excited for it. Frankly, I'm in a little bit of fear for my own life. I'm openly fearful of second-degree burns simply from the steam coming out of Jeff's ears that we're going to be having here in a few minutes, but I, I'm going to start this off. Look, I, I'm – Maybe 78% as mad as Jeff Moss is today about this Dave Harnes issue. And the combination of the 22% disparity and the fact that Moss is just crazier to begin with is why my reaction is going to be slightly more measured. But make no mistake, when Dave Harnes tweeted out today... This morning at 9.09. At 9.09, he said, quote, Everyone can stop tagging me in Drew Sharp-related tweets. We have talked. It's done. Now, where to even begin on this? There's, uh, it's incredible how many things can be wrong and borderline offensive in such a short tweet. And uh, I'll, I'll preface everything that I'm about to say by saying that I've spoken to Dave in the past. I, I, I did an article with him on his website. I think he's a good person. I think he's a good guy. That said, there is a certain responsibility when you're in this position that he found himself in where, yes, he was a victim. But this is not a case of sexual assault where I would drag a victim of sexual assault up to the stand if that was against his or her will. This is not something that was a traumatic incident for this individual. Dave Harnes, as a victim, in my opinion, had a duty to see this through to the end, to stick up for what was right. We said repeatedly that he was not the only victim in this. The truth was the victim. Any reader of the free press is a victim. Any reader that ever looks at that publication and trusts what's in it is the work of the original author. Anyone is a victim if they read that website, if they read the hard publication. There are many, many victims in this. I would also argue anybody 
in the state of Michigan who is doing good and honest journalism work is a victim of this because this is someone who is at the top of the food chain in terms of financial compensation at his job, who is allowed to run amok of the rules, who is allowed to give a middle finger to every ethical code the standard professional journalist has put forward, which the free press purports to follow. Let me let me step in here for a second, and w- let me first break down this. If you want to get going now, I'm going to get going. You can go. Going. Well, come on but, in. But, but uh, you uh, can, the water's you can warm. In. You can chime in whenever you want. I'm going to get out of your way. I don't care. I, I'm going to go let sit me, next to let me, Sarah. Let me and listen to music. Let me it, let me first break down this tweet because there's a there's like three different angles to it. One, everyone can stop tagging me in Drew Sharp related tweets. So the first thing is this pussy is complaining. That people are bothering him in his mentions for something you fucking started, David Harns. That's the first thing. The second thing, we've talked. What does that mean? We've talked. Did he apologize to you? What was said in that conversation? We don't know because you refuse to expound upon it. It's done. That's the third part of his tweet. It's not fucking done. It's about to start, David You've used the Detroit sports rag for the last six weeks, and for what? To get a maybe a potential apology from Drew Sharp? This is not just about you, David Harnes. And I'm sorry that after six weeks of you using the DSR for cover and using me personally, that now you're annoyed with what's going on, that your mentions are filled with people saying that Drew Sharp plagiarized from you. Oh, what a cross to bear that is, David Harnes. We have now had two people come to the DSR, or two people who have had issues with the free press that we've exposed regarding plagiarism. Brian Hedger accused a few years ago, Mitch Album of plagiarism, backed down because he didn't want the heat. And now we've got this story that Justin wrote uh, on Christmas Eve regarding Drew Sharp lifting and stealing the work of this gentleman, David Harnes. And not only that, but lying to his boss about it. How is it that Drew Sharp got so fucking lucky to have the biggest coward pussy in the world be his mark? How is it that this guy, Drew Sharp, who should, be, who should have been publicly flogged by his employers, how did he get so lucky that his victim was the blogging version of Ned Flanders? How lucky are you? We had this guy on the ropes. We had him caught red-handed. The final thing we needed, other than the Detroit Sports Rag commenting on it, awful announcing, deadline Detroit, the Metro Times, the list goes on and on. The last thing we needed to put a nail in Drew Sharp's casket for once and for all was David Harnes to be outraged by it. But David Harnes has given the Detroit Free Press an out by going on his website 
going on Twitter and saying all's over. It's done. All is forgotten. I'm going to go into it in a few moments how the DSR was used by this guy. And for what? After a month, Drew Sharp doesn't apologize in the pages of the Detroit Free Press. Drew Sharp doesn't apologize on the air on 105.1 like his partner Matt Derry and his agent Mort Meisner demanded. No, they laughed about it. Drew's back. Ha 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 ha. DSR contributor Brian Kavanaugh's son, 10 years old, calls up and says, Hi, I'm 10 years old. Can you explain to me why you employ a plagiarist on the radio? Ha ha ha. And what was Drew Sharp's response to that? Did he make the mea culpa then? No. He fucking laughed it off again. He has made you a cuckold, David Harns. I know you didn't know what that term was because you're a Jesus freak. And you're, you know, as you said in a tweet to me, a direct message, something about your worldview and religion, which I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Can I ask you a question, David Harns, if you're so religious? Which commandment is thou shall not steal? Because I'm just an atheist Jew. I don't know. Which one is it? Eight, nine? Are they like amendments to the Constitution? Are they in order or are they just all grouped together? This is so infuriating to me. We had Drew Sharp on the ropes. A man who a few years ago wrote a baseball column about Justin Verlander, about a game he never watched. And the Free Press had his back and lied about it. A man who wrote many, many Detroit Piston columns over the years, never disclosing that he was a close relative of one of Joe Dumars's lieutenants, Scott Perry. Never wrote it. This troll defended Piston move after Piston move with Joe Dumars and never disclosed the fact that Scott Perry was a relative of his. This piece of shit. And finally, we catch the guy red-handed. Basically, we caught him entering a party store and stealing on video. And the one person who could have really put this over the top is David Harnes, and he's refused to do it. Why? Well, I'm going to go into some direct messages, conversations I've had with David Harnes. Okay? I'm going to read them. He might, David Harnes might have had a deal with other people at the DSR, but I won't disclose those. I'm going to disclose private messages that we had, fuckstick. David Harnes has been threatened, supposedly, by members of the Detroit Free Press. He is so afraid for what reason, I have no idea that he's going to burn a bridge with Joe Rexroad or Sean Windsor, Jeff Seidel. These are the people that you're terrified of? Over what? That once every couple months, the free press allows you to write some guest website-only article that they pay you, what, $125 for? It's not exactly like it's that exclusive, David. They do the same thing for Ryan McCucumber. Okay, go look that guy up. And then from what I've, I don't know, they steal from you and you, and you do nothing and they threaten you, they warn you. 
quote, and there are members of the media that are trying to cover his ass. I've been warned a couple times, warned being in quotations. That's partly why I had to tread cowardly, I mean lightly, making a joke, because I've called this guy out publicly in the last few weeks for being a coward, which he is. Kind of like, quote, be careful here. Drew has been around for 30 years. What's your objective? He has friends, etc., unquote. All said covertly. What are you going to do about it? Another one. Quote on January 5th, I don't think they have an out, speaking of the free press. I've been trying to figure out the best way to expose Drew and maintain my dignity, integrity, unquote. You don't think the free press has an out? You just gave it to him, David, by tweeting out, everyone can stop tagging me in Drew Sharp-related tweets. We've talked. It's done. It's done. Just because you were the main victim doesn't mean you were the only victim. And for you to speak on this like it's all over with, even though the free press still has not made any public declaration of what occurred, not Joyce General, the publisher, not Kevin Bull, the sports editor, not David Hushka, the editor, executive editor, nobody. But it's done. Why? Because Drew Sharp called you. Is that what happened? Is that what occurred? He schmoozed you? And now it's all over and you're telling people that you're not going to disclose what went down? That's the payoff after all of this? This is from January 13th from David Harnes. And I quote, Yes, I gave him the benefit of the doubt so far. Assumed he'd step up. He hasn't, blah, 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 unquote. After weeks and weeks, on January 13th, you were still bitching to me that Drew Sharp hadn't apologized to you or reached out. In the last 13 days, something magically happened? What happened? You're not going to tell us, obviously. That's what you told us today on Twitter. Also on January 13th, quote, listen to your podcast. I'm considering your words. I've handled this the way my faith and my worldview requires me to. However, however, my faith and worldview do not require me to sit silently by while someone is dishonest in his profession. I will not blast the freep, but I'm considering going after Drew. Considering if I do so, it would need to be in a manner Consistent, once again, with my faith worldview. I need to ponder that. I'm willing to hear ideas. As late as 13 days ago, he's still reaching out to the DSR, wondering what he can do to call this man out. The man who, by the way, still has not apologized publicly. And we don't know if he did it to David Harnes. Asking for more help is to remember the traditional media that would like to write the story. Blogger demands apology from Drew Sharp or something. Still asking for help from the Detroit Sports Rag. As late as 13 days ago. 
I just don't I, – I, I'm, just, I'm just completely confused by this. January 14th, the next day, and this is what set me off, and this is when the guy was dead to me, even though I didn't, I, I didn't start the burial until you know 15 minutes ago. But this just fucking pissed me off to no end. And Spiro was party to these direct messages. He was in this group. Quote, a point that you could make maybe. You could have, re- you could have researched this. People keep saying that Drew Sharp plagiarized a blogger. David Harnes has been published in the Lansing State Journal at least four times. Oh, my God. That Let me whip it out right now and jerk it off. Wow. You've been published in the Lansing State Journal four times? Holy shit. I didn't see that on your Wikipedia entry, David. That I've seen including at least three feature pieces, two of which were on the front page. A story about a high school basketball player who went on a mission trip to Uganda with his dad. Oh, well, of course. That's your worldview. And an exclusive interview with Lacey Howlsworth's parents six months after their daughter died. He goes on. He also has been published by the Detroit Free Press twice in the last several months and again this week. What was David Harnes trying to get across in these direct messages, that may be awful announcing or the big lead or someone else would give this story another run because Drew Sharp still, a good month after it came to light that he had stolen from David Harnes, that Drew Sharp still hadn't made contact with him or apologized, and that He was more than a blogger because he had been published in the Lansing State Journal a couple times. And the free – what are you fucking talking about? You're mainly a blogger. I'm a blogger. The theft doesn't mean more because you were published a couple times in traditional media. That you were given a guest online article on the Detroit Free Press? That's supposed to impress me? The newspaper that covers up made-up articles by Mitch Album? Doesn't disclose conflicts of interest that Drew Sharp has? Covers up plagiarism, potentially, of Mitch Album and Drew Sharp? That's, it's no different. Theft is theft if it comes from a blogger or if it comes from a professional sports writer. So what was all this bullshit on January 14th? Readers of the Detroit Free Press are victims of what went down. And you could have stood up and did something, and you haven't. And please save me that you wrote an article breaking down what occurred and how the Free Press went back and forth and how big fucking deal. What was the end goal? Did you get an autographed copy of Drew Sharp and Terry Foster's book about the great Detroit sports debates? Is it that important to you that you continue being an online blogger 
for the Detroit Free Press once every two or three months? Is that what's so important to you that you've put this to bed after begging me for weeks to put more pressure on the Free Press? I've got the tweets. I've got the direct messages. Harry, you company man. Obstacles, so-and-so would counsel me to keep pushing the free press. Looking back, it's like that person knew there was something for them to find. Last week or 10 days ago, I was told by you, David Harnes, that Drew Sharp was going to make an apology to you or was going to talk to you in person, but I think, I guess, a snowstorm or something occurred. And guess what? Drew Sharp told you the precondition of any such meeting was that you didn't record it. You told me that. I'll get the tweet if you want. Do you know why he told you you couldn't record it? Because he didn't want it on the Detroit Sports Rag. He didn't want it publicly known that he was apologizing to you. And I'm wondering if it's done that he apologized to you with the preconceived with, with the notion that you couldn't even report that he apologized to you. I'm wondering that. Because we know that he was terrified that you were gonna record it. I wanted to fucking wire you. I wanted to strap you up. Was he going to make you uh, take your shirt off like Sarah Polly and go when Timothy Oliphant told her to twirl around because he wanted to see if she was working for you know law enforcement? Is that what he was going to do to you, David? No, he, didn't, he doesn't want any public apology out there. He doesn't want to admit that he did anything wrong. He's a fucking coward just like you are. And it's unbelievable to me. That we keep getting these pussies with no backbone, no spine whatsoever, to be the mark of free press journalists, and then they skate by because to you it's done. You want to chime in here, Spiro? Oh, I, I can speak. Is that? Do I have your permission? I think here, here's, here's where I stand. Uh, Dave, Dave was not a good person to carry this flag. You know, I prefaced my comments by saying he's, I think he's a good guy. I think you can be passive and meek and, and a doormat and still be a nice person. And I, you know, and that's, that's what I'm going to say up front again. But he was the last person to carry this flag, the last person, anyone with any sense of righteousness would want to have this burden to take on this fight. If this had happened to you or me or uh, if he played – the play drives awful announcing, someone with some sense of fight – Someone with balls who hadn't been neutered? Okay. Well, however you want to characterize it. it Dave was a, a poor choice and unfortunately there was no decision. I mean this – he was chosen by the almighty as Jim Caldwell would say. To, to be the one to take on this fight, and he was an ill-equipped soldier to do so. It's not in his personality. He's too meek. He's 
He's too passive, and, and we've seen that. And, and Dave, you know, Dave showed publicly that he was upset by this. So, you know, he had a consciousness of of what took place. It wasn't, you know, where he was writing this off and saying, "Oh, this whole thing's no big deal." But when it came to actually picking up the sword, figuratively speaking, and, and fighting the battle, he was nowhere to be found. And and really, it, it goes beyond just him not fighting. He's now actively undermining those who do choose to fight. The people he engaged in this, which is well, what pisses me off. And but that's just not just not just us though. Just in general, I mean, it's, ten, twelve days ago, he's asking for my helping help. Maybe Ken Fang at Awful Announcing or Alan Stamet, Deadline Detroit will help him to get what? What was your end goal? Well, honestly, I, I thought that he wanted to achieve the satisfaction of an apology and some accountability without being fully invested and, and putting himself out there. And then I think once that was unattainable in his mind, where there's no way he could really, again, figuratively bury Drew Sharp on this without a, a full engagement from him, I, I think he just dropped it. I mean, that's not from any conversation I've had with him, but that's just what I'm Sort of, you know, piecing together this puzzle. January 14th at 9.32 a.m., quote, Lifting the work of a blogger is bad, but this is more than that. Because you've written for the Lansing State Journal four times and a couple times in the Detroit Free Press, it's more than that? If it's so horrible, why have you done absolutely fucking nothing, you coward? Theft is theft. And he doesn't have the moral compass requisite to see this through. While the work that was plagiarized did come from a blog, it's a blog that has been covering Michigan State athletics for over years. For five, oh, excuse me, over five years. Credentials and everything. Oh, 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 you have credentials. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me, David Harns. I didn't know you had credentials. So this makes it worse. Are you, what planet are you on, you fuckstick? What is your worldview? Theft is theft, as George just said. doesn't mean anything more because you've got a credential at Michigan State to get into games. It's more than that. Fuck you. Fuck you. What are you trying to say, you dumb fuck? Go on, Spiro. Look, I don't even think that's... Relevant. I, I, for, I it's not relevant. He's the one who brought it up, no, you dipshit. That he's got a credential. He's been in the Lansing State Journal four times. He's been published no, a couple I, times I, in the free press. Look, so it's worse? No, That's what he's no. saying. No, I, I understand. That's and what I, he's saying. And I, and I think he was wrong to say that, and I think you're right to criticize him Idiot. for it. But I think we got to keep our eyes on the prize here. What's the bigger picture? The bigger picture is he was in a unique position, a position that only he was in, to be out in front of this and at the front of the battle lines and really accomplish something meaningful and take a stand where we're going to say this is not acceptable, this is something that we are not going to take sitting down, I'm not going to let this be done to me without any repercussions from Just the Just pers- take it in the ass, David. Uh, you know, I don't agree with his characterization that it's somehow more or less meaningful based on, you know, theft He theft, thinks that. But, no, he and, thinks and, because – And I disagree with what, that, but What grandiose not. view of yourself do you think you have because you've got a credential, because you've been published? Are you – I, I mean, he may have been just saying that these other outlets would have been more interested in it because, you know, it's uh, – No, they wouldn't. I mean, that, I'm just saying that may have been what he was saying. You know, I, I don't know. But – 
I, I, I just think it's a shame to see that the person most uniquely qualified and is the most uniquely uh, advantageous position to stand up for what's right didn't do so. And, and I, don't, I, I, I resent a little bit that he would go and say, everyone stop tagging me, it's done. I think there's a, a total ignorance of the fact that, as we've said repeatedly, that there are many, many victims in this case, and it's not his right to absolve Drew Sharp in the free press. He can say he doesn't hold a grudge. I, I think you know he's handled it like a wimp. That's fine. But he doesn't have the power or right to absolve them. Of and he's the annoyed ent- now? Keep tagging him, people. You're annoyed? I asked him on January 13th. I said to him, you might want to ask him why he didn't publicly apologize. David Harns, quote, I will. I'm not letting him off the hook. Well, what did you do today at 9.09? Quote, you are correct. He hasn't. You've proven trustworthy so far. Well, that's over. So I'll tell you this completely off the record. Oops. Oops. He and I were supposed to meet yesterday. But the weather didn't allow the Detroit guys to come to East Lansing for the Izzo presser. He said he said he would talk to me in person only, sans recording devices. You may not infer that you knew, know this. Oops. Well, guess what, David? You should ask someone before. You shouldn't just put it in the in the tweet, the direct message. That's completely off the record without me accepting it, because guess what? I just fucking read it on the air. How are you going to do about it? Sans recording That's devices. Me. You may not infer that you know this. Oh, I just did. Well, technically you didn't infer it, but it was more explicitly stated than anything. You know, I, I, I think here's I'm, – I'm trying to keep a big picture view of this. You know, you're looking at the nuances of, of how this went down, and I, and I don't think there's anything you said that's invalid. I disagreed with your decision to reveal your private uh, dialogue with him, and I told you yeah, – Yeah, oh, you're really upset about it. Uh, well, I, I, did, I wouldn't have done it, and I told you that before we went on the air. I said I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't do it if I were you, but that's your business, and you know I said that. No, I know. So you can't – But you're entertained. <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Uh, Look, and I do think Dave needs to be gone after. You know, I I do disagree with you revealing these conversations, and I said that privately, and I I would be remiss not to say that publicly. But now that it's out, I mean, the fact is Dave really blew an opportunity here. And and it's it's such a shame to see because you would think that – look, here's what I'll say. We've had so many people – I'll just speak for myself – I've had over a dozen people in this town, journalists and one broadcaster, reach out to me, unsolicited by me, to say that they found what Drew Sharp did disgusting, unacceptable, what the free press has done in the wake of it to be disgusting, despicable, unacceptable. This, is, this isn't some Detroit sports track crusade. The, the media in this town, even people who are not necessarily friendly to us under normal, normal terms – have said publicly. I mean, Sean Belegian, who's no friend of the DSR, said publicly, it's black and white, he plagiarized, it was awful. What do you want me to say? Mike Valeni said something similar, even Terry Foster. People are bothered by this. This isn't some Detroit sport track crusade. People have tweeted to us a couple times when we've brought this up saying, who cares? You know, no one cares anymore. People care. The, co- the co-founder of the Detroit sports track today said, nobody cares about the free press anymore. 
Oh, I mean, I mean, you, what? You know, if Mike, if Mike Vani and Terry Foster and Sean Belegian and countless others off the record who have reached out to us unsolicited seem to be this bothered by it, I'm comfortable saying we're not insane for seeing it as a major issue worth discussion. And it, and, and it's so easy. You are letting the Detroit Free Press win if you say, oh, you know, let it go. That that's what they want. That, that, that is the white flag that we cannot allow to be waved. You, they cannot be allowed to steal from someone, cover it up, never apologize, sweep it under the rug, and, and just move on with their lives like never, nothing ever happened. Listen to this. This is – and I was telling George this before the show. I had bombed him a few weeks ago for not calling Sharp out for not apologizing to him publicly and personally. And I said, you know, I basically said this is not what I would do, which is quite obvious. He went and, like, quoted my tweet and then said something like, oh, I'm so happy that Jeff, I, that Jeff Moss wouldn't handle like this, like saying I'm like some evil person, which I am, and that he's better than me because you know he was handling it with his worldview and religious beliefs, basically taking a shot at me, which got I think fifty some likes and a bunch of retweets, making me look like the bad guy. So I went after him, and this is what he said: "Quote on January fifth, fair enough. I don't view it as cowardly." I view it as effective. This whole thing is played out perfectly. Last night's tweet was twofold. One, put a little distance between us. And two, keep the story going. This has gone much further because a source, DSR, other than the wrong one, me, rolled with it. You coward. You pussy. You let us do your dirty work. You continue to get counsel from us. And now they had some magical conversation with Drew Sharp, whether in person or otherwise. It's done for you. You got anything else to add? We'll take a break. Well, I mean, I think you pretty much said it all. It's a shame that it went down like this, and uh, it's just it's so disappointing to see Dave bow out like this. It's, it's, it's just, it's it's just very, cowardly. It, you don't want to call yourself a coward. You're a coward. Whether or not going to church and praying to Jesus made you a coward or your worldview, whatever that means, that's what you are. You had a despicable human being on the ropes. A plagiarist, a troll, a guy who uses AP vote to troll your alma mater, a guy who writes about baseball games that he never witnessed, a guy who has a complete conflict of interest covering the Detroit Pistons and never discloses it. You had that jackass in a corner and you he had him drowning and you threw him a life preserver. So you can live with that. We'll be back. This is a previously recorded episode. 
All right, we're back. Final segment, 647. we got to make way for the undercard. In about 13 minutes, coming up on the podcast, Detroit Mark uh, Network. Uh, Justin has a ticket text. I'm actually going to gonna let George read it here. Get George involved. So George is going to read. Who is it from? Uh, Pistons correspondent Jasper Apollonia. That is really some cowardly stuff. Publicly shaming Moss to make himself look better and then acting like it's part of some grand scheme. What an asshole. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, poor Dave Harden's case is crucified <laughs> in our text messages and in our private Facebook group, and it's, it's not going well for Dave, unfortunately. Anyway, uh, we actually have a caller, and it's uh, someone who is, God, we haven't heard from this gentleman in many years. It's, it's been so long since we heard from him that his old DSR forum moniker basically is not politically correct anymore. He used to go by the, uh, the name on the DSR forums, Crazy Retard, and uh, we'll now call him Crazy the Conqueror instead. But uh, a quick story about this. We've met a lot of people, Justin, on the Detroit Sports Rag forums who, we, you know, guys we met on the internet. <laughs> kind of, DSR has been kind of like a... Uh, Match.com for there's, Detroit there's sports like, fans. Nothing like my wife. Anytime I introduce her to any of my friends, hey, how'd you guys meet? Oh, online. The <laughs> guy I met on the met internet. On a sports message board. <laughs> exactly. So we were having a DSR function of some sort back at the old um, Crazy Retard. Where was it? It was, it was, on Livon- it was in Livonia over there. It was on Docs. The- it was at Docs. Yeah, Docs. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, I think it's still there. Isn't yeah, it? I think it is still there. It is. So this guy comes up to me, Crazy. his name's Crazy Retard. And this guy walks up to me at the bar. I never met him. And we got the DSR gathering there. And I need to talk he to said, Richard. He says, he says to me, are you Jeff Moss? And I looked him over, and uh, I said, no, I'm not. Now, I don't know what shape you're in now, but back then you looked like you were starring in some Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilding. Con- what, what do you, what's your height, weight, and, and, you know, and all of that? And bench. And what do you bench? Do you even lift, bro? Uh, yeah, you know, I was probably a little younger and a little bit better shape then. But, well, what were uh, you then? Yeah, what were your stats? Well, I'm still the same height. I'm still about six, six one, somewhere in between there. Weight back then? Yeah, uh, probably about 205, I'm thinking. And what, what did you bench back then? Max bench. Um, I think I was pretty close to 400, but not quite. I think I was just under. I just couldn't break that barrier without I was going to say, 6'1", 205, I'm like, I'm not intimidated by <laughs> yeah, this guy yet, yeah, but okay. you bring in that the bench. My right, yeah, he benches, four, benches 400. I couldn't get that. I, I refused to do steroids. So. so this guy walks up to me with my reputation saying, I'm looking for Jeff Moss. And I literally I wasn't even joking. I said, I don't know where he is. I don't know what you're talking about. But we, well, did, end up, we, so we did end up, uh, you know. I did end up coming coming out and saying that yes, I was Jeff Moss. Yeah. And After you didn't, I you didn't kill the me. The entire Doc's bar, which is huge, asking about fifty other people if they were Jeff Moss. <laughs> and, I, and I just was starting to feel sorry for me walking around by myself. Yeah. I looked kind of pathetic. And I spent the last forty minutes bombing someone else for being a coward. <laughs> so, are, are we, so why'd you call yeah, crazy, crazy retard? Crazy retard. We heard that you called yeah, I, like I've been, seventeen. I've been working for a while. It's nice to come in after a little uh, B-side pyromania. <laughs> and I just wanted to thank you guys for not giving up on this Drew Sharp thing. I'm a communication major. It didn't end up being my <clears throat> my career. 
But, you know, one of the most important things we learned was about ethics and being a journalist. And if you don't have ethics, you really don't have anything. And it's just shocking to me how lazy, especially the Detroit media. I've lived in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and, and, you know, for work and pleasure. I've been to a lot of other towns. And it just seems like our media are are just across the board lazy. And, And, you know, to have this get swept under the rug. And if it wasn't for you guys continuing to, you know, bring this to folks' attention, you know, I think it would be just a, another sad state of affairs where, you know, journalists are allowed to steal someone else's work, which is, you know, a capital offense for a journalist, and then just go on their merry way like nothing ever happened with no recourse. So I just wanted to, you know, call in and thank you guys for well, we appreciate it. To stay on top of it. We, that, that was pretty much it. Right. But look uh, and look, nice you, job. And, and, and if look, and if you can't. Uh, Take morality and ethics from a guy calling himself crazy retard. Who can you, who can you take it from? Thank, it's good yeah. hearing from you. I, I apologize once again for what happened at Docs when I cowardly <laughs> said I wasn't Jeff Moss uh, because it looked like you were going to absolutely take me and throw me through a uh, one of the tables there. But good no hearing need, from no you. Need. It was a good time. Yeah, good time. All Thanks, right, CR. Thanks, CR. All good right, talking later. to you. Okay. Well, that about well, wraps it up that's for a blast this. From the past. That is a wow. That is a blast. Do from you the think past. he can write our next article on the Detroit Sports Rag website? I think he's a good candidate under the name Crazy Retard. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, yeah. For yeah, exactly. I get it. Yeah, you, you got it. All right. Well, I th- appreciate everyone listening and putting up with my rant. Thank you to da- Dan Simborski, who I think gave us a lot of great Tigers insight earlier in the program. Thanks to Spiro, uh, George for showing up, one for the thumb, and Jessica for producing as always. Hopefully we will see you next Tuesday where we will have another DSR dignitary. Taylor? The one and only. Phillips. Taylor Phillips. What's his nickname? DTP? The Gator. The oh God. Taylor the Taylor Gator. The Gator. You won't want to miss next week's show. Should be interesting. So have a good week. And uh, look for uh, new articles on the DetroitSportsRag.com. Thanks. And thanks, thanks to Cali Tickets for being a sponsor of this program, C-A-L-I. Go there. You get a 10% discount if you mention the DetroitSportsRag.com. Oh, and you wanted to know what my nickname was. Oh, yeah. I forgot, almost forgot that. I almost got away with that. No, go. Did you ever see the movie American Tale? No. Fifel? Yeah, Fivel. That Fievel. was it. Oh, wait, really? Five Moskowitz, because my... my Why? Moskowitz. Well, my real name would have been Moskowitz if my grandfather didn't change it because he didn't want to be known as a Jew. <laughs> so on that note, we will leave you. Thanks for listening to this, the Detroit Sports Rag Podcast. Baby! Had to do that. I'm sorry. Drew Sharp's the plate. This is a previously recorded episode of...